Teachings that do not speak of pain have no meaning, because humankind cannot gain anything without first giving something in return. In alchemy, to obtain something, something of equal value must be lost. This is Equivalent Exchange. Welcome to Equivalent Exchange, a podcast about Fullmetal Alchemist by Hiromu Aokawa. I'm Kayla. I'm Ellen. And I'm Kazum. And today we're looking at chapters 52 and 53. Woo! Just, just, just looking? Just looking. <laughs> <laughs> it's just going to be uh, like an hour of page looking. Silence. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be like, oh, damn, that thing happened. Ooh, Crazy. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, we're going to do our uh, usual thing, do summary recap and discussion. Yeah, quick reminder, uh, send us those questions for our special episode. Yeah. Do what, it. What, April 3rd? Send it by yes. then? Yep. Okay. Yes. Good, you remembered. <laughs> I did. I remembered a date. <laughs> I'm proud of you. <laughs> so yeah, we'll get into it. Yeah, let's do it. There's. A, <laughs> are we gonna have esoteric bullshit corner today? I feel like there's. That's gonna happen. Yeah, we are. Oh, it's not. It's not as. <laughs> not as esoteric. Oh yeah, I remember now. Yeah. <laughs> you remember now. <laughs> well, I mean, the topics that come up in the in the reading. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they actually directly talk about the symbols this time. Instead mm-hmm. of just being like, it's magic. Yeah. Or science. It's science. <laughs> and it's so easy to just nod along and go like, okay, I believe what you're saying, Ed, but I decided to dive into it. <laughs> so, mm. Well, I'm excited because so, yeah, I some, didn't. <laughs> yeah. We have some mild esoteric bullshit. It's not oh. it's not Kabbalah levels, but there's a little bit. <laughs> oh, okay, good. That's so fun. look forward to that. Yay. It's like, but first the dismemberment. I mean, <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, actually, I don't think anybody got dismembered this time. Is a broken it limb, not yeah, a dismembered limb. Yeah. <laughs> further dismembered, further further dismemberment. I'm looking at Al. He's missing an arm already. I was gonna so. say, for, like I said, further dismemberment <laughs> didn't happen. This is still a continuation of last time. They all get broken down and put time. back together, so it's sort of. Uh... That's true. They they <laughs> come on, get... give us something, Ellen. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. They 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 do get reassembled. I was wondering if Ed's arm stayed broken during that, but um, I remember he comes. He comes out Back. and he's like, ow. So yeah, so I don't think so. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. he's like, I could translate myself, but it's like, well, they kind of, anyway, whatever, we'll talk about it. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> if he like, concentrated on it at the same time, but he was concentrated on going through uh, the portal. So. Uh, yeah, I think he was just concentrating on trying to get yeah. back to reality, which is fine. Mm-hmm. That's okay. But yeah, I, I was just like, I thought he said he was going to transmute himself. Why is his arm still broken? <laughs> yeah, well. He transmuted himself with a broken arm into yeah. himself with a broken arm. <laughs> He was like, I will use the properties of water for water and iron for iron. It's like, okay, broken yeah, so it's just a broken arm for broken arm. <laughs> splint for splint. Yes. <laughs> eye for eye and tooth for tooth. <laughs> That's what he said. That's a direct quote. <laughs> <laughs> <what> said. <laughs> okay, well, shall we, shall we begin yes. <laughs> the tale? <laughs> so chapter 52 picks up back with Al asking Gluttony to take him to his father. Did you open the portal? Gluttony asked, tilting his head to one side. And when Al says that he did, Gluttony then asks, If I take you there, will father be happy? He'll be happy, Al insists. He'll be really happy. <laughs> Gluttony considers for a moment, then grins widely. He does look pretty pleased. <laughs> like Al, like, going along with the, like, childish question marks. He's like, like yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, he'll be so happy. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> Meanwhile, in the lion's den that is Central HQ, the hires up are having a discussion that makes it clear just how deeply involved they are with homunculi's plans talking about who they can blame if the human experimentation at lab number five is discovered and about other potential human sacrifices. In a nearby office, Fuhrer Bradley offers Roy some tea, which he understandably declines. Bradley tells him that it isn't poison, but Roy just asks why he's bothering to keep him alive now. To make you realize how deep the waters you've been swimming in are, Bradley answers, calmly sipping his own tea. 
How long has this been going on? Roy asks. How long has the military been bowing its head to the homunculi? This plot has been in place since the birth of this nation. You must have been having quite a laugh watching a struggle all this time, Roy says. At Brigadier General Hughes' funeral, your hands were trembling. Was that just an act? Why must everyone make such a fuss over the death of one soldier, Bradley wonders, staring out the window. From the minute he donned the uniform, he was fully aware of the strong likelihood that he was dressing for his own funeral. Hughes's child, what was her name? She made an unbelievable racket during the funeral. My fists were trembling with anger. Roy looks disgusted. You have a child yourself, so how can you say such a thing? My child? You mean Salem. He's a good boy, is all Bradley has to say about that. What would happen if you found out that the father he idolizes is a homunculus? Bradley is silent for a moment. Is that a threat? How futile. He could never be my weak point. He turns back toward Roy. You should be worrying about yourself, Colonel Roy Mustang. Outside the military dorms, Fury feeds Black Hayate. Your owner still hasn't come to pick you up, huh? He says. I hope Lieutenant Hawkeye is all right. Another soldier leans out the door of the building to call to Fury and let him know that some officers from Personnel Affairs are there to see him. Fury steps inside to meet them, looking puzzled. A little later, Fury hurries to find Riza still waiting outside Central HQ. He salutes, anxiously says, They told me that you'd be here, and asks what's going on. The colonel paid a visit to military command last night and hasn't come out since, she tells him, looking worried. Fury frets about that for a moment, then shows her the envelope he got from the Personnel Affairs office. I've been transferred to the South Area HQ, he says, which shocks Riza, and I'm not the only one being reassigned. Second Lieutenant Breda was transferred to the West HQ, and Warren Officer Fallman is being moved to the North. He asks Risa if she's been contacted yet, and she barely has time to say that she hasn't heard anything before a pair of officers approach her, a man from Personnel Affairs and the Fuhrer's personal secretary. They hand her an envelope. Is this a transfer order? She asks, trying to keep up a stoic expression. The man says that it is, and she grimly begins to open it. She reads for a moment, then her eyes go wide. This can't be. What kind of orders are these? She demands. Fury worriedly asks where they're sending her. First Lieutenant Risa Hawkeye, report tomorrow to Central HQ, she begins, and Fury is relieved for a moment, until she finishes, as the Fuhrer's personal aid. I screamed when I read it the first time. <laughs> yeah, and, I'd forgotten that that happened. And my husband was like, what happened? And I was like, you don't understand. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Every time in this story I scream, it's always like a person is with another person. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, it was like. Isn't it almost always the Fuhrer is with someone? Yeah, it was yeah. like when Marie's with the Fuhrer. Yeah. And I was like, <gasps> and then he was like, what happened? And I was like, you don't, you, you won't understand. And then this time it was like, as a first person I had, and I was like, no, or whatever. And then he, he was like, what? And I was like, you wouldn't understand. <laughs> I think you just told him his title and first name. I think he might have gotten it. This person is with the. Fuhrer President King. You're like, look, he has an eye patch. He's evil. <laughs> he should just read FMA and then he would understand. That's <laughs> great. Yeah. Convert him. I know. It's a solution to all problems. You should yeah. just read FMA. <laughs> I'll get right on This that. is a gateway to the Kabbalah, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Don't Before you want to you know attain... it, we'll be practicing magic. Yes. yes. <laughs> you want to attain the highest Sephiroth and feel I God's... want the light. Like, <laughs> I want the creation energy. <laughs> In the Fuhrer's office, Roy looks shocked as he receives the same news. So that's the plan, Bradley says. Sorry, Colonel Mustang. Elsewhere in the city, May is still searching for Xiaomei. She shows a sketch to a worker at a construction site, and he recognizes that cat as the one he saw being carried around by a guy in a big suit of armor the other day. After a bit more description, May realizes that it might be that scary thing with the tiny guy next to it that she just fought. <laughs> <laughs> 
Huh? A big suit of armor? One of the other workers says. I saw him earlier near the abandoned factory. And maybe comes enraged. It kidnapped Xiao Mei. I will never forgive that suit of armor. <laughs> Her, like, imagination of Al is hilariously over the top, too. Yes. <laughs> Her imagination is pretty over the top in general. She Ed could really work some alchemy magic together, I feel like. <laughs> Like with her imagination yeah, and his like, like taste. <laughs> yeah, I feel like they have like wildly opposing but similarly over the top aesthetics. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She rejoins Scar once they're out of the more populated areas of town, and they spot Al making his way through an alley near the factory. May spots Xiaomei on his shoulder and gets excited, but Scar stops her from running after them when he realizes Al is not alone. That fat one, he says quietly. I think they said it was a homunculus. Their ability to regenerate makes them almost immortal. You should not approach it carelessly. However, the fact that immortality is on the table, too, only makes May more eager, and despite Scar's further warnings, she throws caution to the wind and charges in after them. Scar doesn't follow right away, and he takes a moment to wonder why the Fullmetal Alchemist's brother is hanging out with Homunculus, but the chatter of approaching guards forces Scar's hand, and he follows after May. A flimsy gate at the end of the alley brings them to an ominous flight of stairs, leading down into darkness beyond a more reinforced gate. Here, May finally hesitates, trembling. This place is strange, she says. Ever since I came to this country, I've had a strange feeling. A feeling that I haven't been able to put into words. But just now, I think I found out where that feeling's coming from. There are a lot of things crawling around down there. Which is horrifying. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> yeah. She's right. It is off-putting. <laughs> <laughs> Farther into the darkness, Xiaomei is displaying the same sense of unease. Al reaches up to comfort her, and she clings to his finger. I'm sorry, little fella. I probably should have left you up on the street, he says. I just didn't want you to get attacked by a stray dog or something. Up ahead, Gluttony beckons him through a doorway, and they exit out into a huge, dimly lit tunnel. A stream of water runs down the center of the floor, and there is a grating overhead. Al is amazed at such a thing being beneath Central, but he freaks out a moment later when they come across a rather grisly scene of blood and shattered bones strewn about. What could have done that? he asks Gluttony. Hmm? Oh, just the Guardians. No need to worry, he answers cheerfully. You won't be killed as long as you're with me. Al glances up, where growls and staring eyes lurk beyond the grating. There's something up there, he says uneasily, and Xiaomei clings even tighter to his face. <laughs> Gluttony <laughs> happily tells him to just ignore them. <laughs> they continue on their way, and Al asks Gluttony if it's much farther, and if Gluttony's father would know what happens to the people he swallows. Probably, he answers. Father knows a lot. He knows everything. He can make anything. He made all of us. Me, and Lust, and Envy, too. That turns us just smoothly back into the void, where Envy's true form is just more and more horrifying. I thought it was bad last time, yeah. but I was wrong. <laughs> it's even worse this time. <laughs> the faces and body parts seem to be constantly shifting and warping and dripping off of Envy's body. They scream and laugh and cry out for help, and over it all, the constant refrain of, Don't look at me. Ed and Ling pull themselves to their feet after Envy's initial attack, and Ling asks if Ed can make them some weapons. Leave it to me, Ed says, putting his hands together. It's a sea of blood, so there's no shortage of iron. He transmutes a sword for Ling, though he doesn't seem to appreciate Ed's aesthetic choices, <laughs> and then forms the typical blade for his own automail. Ed and Ling consider their opponent and their own injuries, and remark that this isn't going to be easy. Then with a quick glance to each other, they dash for the shadows, hoping to get a better position on Envy. You can't escape, Envy cries, lunging forward. Ling manages to stop Envy's claw with his sword, but arms reach out from the writhing mass of Envy's body, grab for him, and slam him back against a pillar from the ruins. Ling, Ed cries, and he rushes in to try and intervene. But he halts suddenly when he finds himself face to face with a man's head, sobbing as it reaches out from the mass. Kill me, it begs. Help me. Please, kill me. 
It continues until the words are choked off by another face emerging from its mouth, cackling madly. Ed is frozen in place, staring into the madness and listening to the voices beg for death or for life. The laughing head is suddenly split from above as Ling descends with his sword, breaking the spell. Quit spacing out, you idiot, he yells, pushing Ed out of the way. Why do you hesitate? People, Ed says shakily. There are people inside. They're crying out for help. You're wrong. It's a monster, Ling says firmly. Don't let it fool you. That thing is a monster. Ed gets back into the fray, but he's clearly still distracted by the cacophony of voices calling out for help and for their families. Stop it! Shut up! He yells, trying to cover his ears. He swings out with his automobile blade, but he jolts to a stop again when one of the voices says, Wanna play? He can't move, horror growing on his face as the image of Nina's twisted chimera form is summoned to his mind. Playtime's over, Envy says, grinning, and with a swipe of a massive claw, Ed is sent crashing into the ground. Ed reaches up weakly, but he doesn't have the strength, and his arm falls back down uselessly. He stares, dazed, at a broken chunk of a stone mural nearby, depicting a lion and a sun. While he lies still, Envy lurches over him. They open their mouth, and dripping bodies pour out like a horrible tongue, reaching out for Ed, grabbing him and tangling him in their twisting limbs. Help me, they say. Let's die together. Let's live together. Come to us. Come. Ling, barely supporting himself upright with his sword, calls out for Ed to wake up, but Envy tilts their head back, swallowing in the mass of bodies and closing his teeth with Ed inside. It all continues to flow around Ed as he drifts on the edge of consciousness. He sees something glowing at the center. What is that? A red stone, he thinks. That's Envy's core. It's the Philosopher's Stone. His hand opens toward it, weakly. What I've been searching for. So close and yet just out of my reach. His eyes close as he thinks of how his arm is definitely broken. He remembers the broken piece of mural that Envy knocked him next to, then the stone wall at Xerxes that it once belonged to, and his eyes fly open. To Envy and Link's surprise, Ed suddenly kicks his automobile leg through one of Envy's teeth, knocking it free. Let me out, Envy, he calls. I think I found a way out of this place. I need your help, Envy. Meanwhile, Scar and May have encountered the guardians Gluttony was talking about, a large horde of vicious chimeras. Pitiful creatures created by alchemy, Scar explains when they get a brief break in fighting them off. They keep fighting and the monsters keep coming, and Scar notes that there doesn't seem to be an end to them. During another break in the fighting, May begins to shiver. I don't want to go down there, she says. I sense evil in that place. More chimeras, Scar asks. That could be a problem. No, that's not what I mean, May says, looking downright terrified. Is it a person? And deep down below, Father sits on his strange throne. The guardians stir, he says. Someone is coming. That's the end of chapter 52. Y yay? Yay. <laughs> At least Ed didn't get absorbed by Envy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Completely yet. <laughs> no, he just had to <laughs> hang out in the gross mass of bodies for a little bit. Seems disgusting. <laughs> Probably slightly better than walking around in the river of blood, though. Sure that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it's really hard to tell. Is it six of one, half a dozen of another? You know? Yeah, it's like two situations I hope to never be in. Yeah, really. Yeah. <laughs> Chapter 53 opens with Ed now safely outside of Envy's mouth. Ling tightens a rudimentary splint around Ed's broken arm, and he asks if he can really get them out of there. I think so, Ed says, and he gets up and walks over to the chunk of stone he saw earlier. Look at this. It's a fragment from the Xerxes ruins. The reason all of this stuff is in Gluttony's stomach is to hide the evidence, right? He turns to glare in Envy's direction. I'm beginning to understand what you bastards did at Xerxes. 
From there, we enter a flashback, not of Xerxes, but of a young, dark-haired boy's childhood. He narrates, I don't remember the names or faces of my true parents. I don't even remember my own name. For all I know, my parents might have abandoned or sold me before I was even given a name. As far back as I can remember, the men in white coats had always watched over us. The man in glasses and a lab coat leans over the boy, giving an unnerving grin that reveals one gold tooth among the others. Who will be the one to lead this country? The man asks. Well now, could it be you? The narration continues. Fuhrer candidate, that was my other name. They kept all of us candidates together, training us day in and day out. Fencing, firearms, martial arts, political science and the humanities. We see the dark-haired boy among several others, studying in a room with barred windows, training and sparring together as they grow older, all with a stoic, expressionless face. I was going to be the one who would control this country, the narration continues. I believed that wholeheartedly and endured the training. Around the time my endurance and intellect had reached their peak, we entered the next phase. In a laboratory room, an outstretched arm lies limp and bloody on a table. This one failed as well, a voice says, as the blood drips onto the floor and becomes a familiar, semi-solid shape. Someone scoops it into a container as they call for the next candidate. The boy, now a young man, enters the room. He lies down on the now-clean table without protest when he's told, though he starts to look a little nervous as the men in white coats strap him down. He becomes even more freaked out when he glimpses the bodies of his fellow Fuhrer candidates through an open door, but it's too late at that point. What are you planning to do to me? He yells. You are a very fortunate young man, the gold-toothed doctor says, grinning again. He holds up a large syringe filled with red liquid. Do you know what this is? It's the Philosopher's Stone. You've never seen one before, have you? Then, from the opposite side of the table, Father approaches. You are the twelfth candidate, he says. He leans down, looming over the now terrified young man. Do you have what it takes to become my wrath, or will it be one of the others? The doctor injects the stone directly into the young man's vein, and he begins to scream, his body tearing itself apart at the seams. The Philosopher's Stone contains the energy of countless souls, the narration begins again. When injected, the body tries to reject this powerful foreign substance at once, while the stone tries to take over its new host. Every candidate they tested before me died an agonizing death, their bodies torn apart from within. I writhed in pain on the edge of death as I struggled with the Philosopher's Stone. My body was endlessly destroyed and regenerated by the stone. Either my body would give out, or I would conquer the Philosopher's Stone. Those were the only two ways that this hell would end. Eventually, the room falls silent. The scientists eagerly look over the result. Wonderful, they say. We are witnessing the dawn of a new era. It's the birth of a new type of human being. The young man sits up shakily, hand over his face. The scientists continue on eagerly. Congratulations, you have been chosen. You are the one who will lead humankind to its destiny. The gold-toothed doctor leans in closer. Leave everything to us, he says. We'll provide you with a career, property, family, friends, and anything else you may need. That's right. We need to give you a name that's worthy of the leader of this country. From today, your name will be King Bradley. And as Bradley lowers his hand to reveal his Ouroboros eye, his narration transitions us back to the present. The left eye of this once nameless test subject had rotted and fallen out, but because of my new superhuman powers, I was able to maintain control over my body. Of all the souls that had warred within me, only one was left. Just one soul that felt but one emotion. Wrath. Whether the remaining soul is one of those transmuted into the Philosopher's Stone, or whether it's my own, I will never know. Roy takes all this in in silence. If you used to be human, he says eventually, standing up and facing the Fuhrer, 
Isn't there a way for you to live as a human being again and not as a homunculus, sir? You're suggesting I become human again. Now why would I do that? Bradley asks. We are different from you humans. Superior. We are not the product of chance. We homunculi were created for a purpose. And just as you humans take pride in being human, we homunculi are proud of what we are. The woman you murdered died with her pride intact, didn't she? And Roy can only scowl at the memory of lust. Meanwhile, Gluttony and Al have reached their destination. Gluttony pushes open a big set of metal doors into a very steampunk room full of gears and chains and pipes, and eagerly runs forward, yelling, Father, it's the human sacrifice! I brought the human sacrifice! Al frets for a moment, saying he's not ready, but he falls silent when Father steps forward. He looks up at the familiar bearded face, remembers the old family photo at Panaco's house, and says, Dad? Back within the void of Gluttony's stomach, Envy gathers together all the fragments of the Xerxes' ruins for Ed. Ning holds the torch while Ed sits and studies the pieces. Are these all from the Xerxes' ruins? he asks. Yep, Ed answers. They're from the large mural in the shrine. He puts a hand to his chin as he thinks. The first time I saw this, I thought it was identical to the transmutation circle I saw beneath lab number five, but it's different. The sun represents the soul. This moon is the alchemic symbol that represents the spirit. Stone is the symbol for physical body, and the body is represented by the mural itself. Hey, hey, so when are you going to share your big secret? Ling interrupts. It looks over his shoulder at him. The mural in Xerxes that the shard is from. It's a summoning circle for human transmutation. The missing piece, which would serve as the base of the circle, is obviously a human being. Obviously, Ling repeats, confused. Obviously. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like how Ling is just like totally in over his head with all the alchemy stuff that's going yes. on. He's yeah. like, uh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> So that's when I got an idea, Ed continues. What if I transmute a living human being? It's impossible to transmute someone who's already dead. You'd just be forced to pay the toll, and in the end, the person that was transmuted wouldn't even have the shape of a human being. But if the one who was transmuted isn't dead, what if I transmuted myself? You're going to transmute something that already exists? Ling asks. Using the logic of water from water and iron from iron, Ed says. Plus, we're talking about human transmutation here. There's a strong possibility that the portal will open. If gluttony is a false portal of truth, then if we go through the real portal, maybe we can get back to the right dimension. I'll open the portal, then you guys jump through it. What happens if you fail? Envy asks. There'll be a rebound. A failed transmutation is reflected back towards the one who initiated it. In this case, that would be me. Ling frowns in thought for a moment. I don't know anything about alchemy, he says. I'm leaving this up to you. But before they get started, Ed has a question for Envy. Using a scrap of cloth dipped in the river of blood as a paintbrush, Ed sketches out the full design of the mural at Xerxes. He points to the different components of the circle and explains them out loud. The symbol for God that's written above the two dragons is shown upside down. In other words, bringing God down to earth and making God one's own. This creates the intertwining male and female dragons, the hermaphrodite, the alchemic symbol for a complete life form. Bring God down to Earth, Ling repeats. That's an awfully arrogant concept for mere humans to think up. It's not a big deal if all we're doing is talking about it. The problem is this. Ed gestures towards the largest fragment from the mural. The missing piece shows the sun being swallowed by the lion. It symbolizes the Philosopher's Stone. The Philosopher's Stone is made of living human beings, right, Envy? That's right, Envy says. More accurately, it's a high-energy substance that's created by extracting souls from human bodies and condensing them. The spirit and the physical bodies are nothing but byproducts. Ed looks down at the circle he's drawn. 
When I went to the Xerxes ruins, I couldn't believe that a country with such advanced technology could be destroyed in one night. And there's nothing in the legends that says they emigrated to a different country either. You guys turned the entire population of Xerxes into a philosopher's stone, didn't you? With Envy's writhing form looming over him, Ed's voice begins to shake with anger. Who transmuted your body? In the end, the entire population was forced into it, with the added incentive of creating a huge philosopher's stone. Who was it who wanted to surpass even God? That person is using you guys to recreate the destruction of Xerxes in this country, isn't he? Envy grins widely. You get us out of here and I'll tell you, they say. Now stop beating around the bush, Fulmile Alchemist. This is what you really want, isn't it? They open their mouth and let the massive faces and limbs surrounding the Philosopher's Stone drip down their tongue. Like you said, you need to pay the toll if you want to go through the portal. Use it. Take us home. But Ed still can't ignore all the voices crying out. These are all citizens of Xerxes, aren't they? Envy scoffs. Why do you hesitate? I heard that you fought greed when you were down south, and surely you know by now that he was only able to regenerate by using the stone's energy. I don't need your pity. Right now, your little brother exists only as a soul, right? The only reason you want to think of these things as human is because you want to believe that your brother still retains his humanity. What a childish notion. It disgusts me to be pitied by a lower life form like you. Ed still hesitates. So, these people no longer have their own bodies? They lost their bodies and souls a long time ago in Xerxes. They can never return to their bodies. They can't even remember what they look like. All that's left for them now is to be absorbed as energy. You must think about this scientifically. Don't let your emotions get in the way. These souls can never go back to being human. One of those souls reaches out to place a hand on Ed's bowed head. All right, he finally says. He turns to Ling and tells him to let people know that the homunculi are planning something terrible for this country if anything happens to Ed during this. Ling sticks his tongue out. Huh? A mistress isn't my country. It's not like I even care what happens to it. But then he grows more serious. There are people you care about who are waiting for you in your country, right? Then get out of this place no matter what, and tell them yourself. Ed looks unsure, but doesn't argue. He approaches Envy, both of them standing within the transmutation circle. I'm sorry, he says to the lost souls of Xerxes, but I need to use you. Shrugging, struggling a little against the pain of his broken arm, Ed lifts his hands to begin the transmutation. That pose he uses when he transmutes, Ling thinks as he watches Ed bring his hands together. I thought it reminded me of something. It almost looks like he's praying. The transmutation begins, light and energy and sound rushing around them. It's been a while, Ed says, as the eye of the portal opens, the shadowy hands sneaking out to ensnare them. I never thought I'd be opening it in a situation like this. He yells for Ling to jump in, and he does so nervously. I'm putting my trust in you, alchemist. And with gritted teeth, he notes that it's the same feeling as when Gluttony swallowed him. Souls disintegrate as envy is pulled through as well. One closes its eyes peacefully and whispers, Thank you. Ed turns away, looking pained, and focuses on the transmutation. The body and soul are connected by the spirit, he thinks to himself, and a portion of my body is in front of the portal of truth. Then there's no point in struggling. The soul is the signpost. Surrender myself to my soul and go with the flow. To the portal. The truth, bearing Ed's missing arm and leg and watching from afar, grins and says, Hmm, so you didn't come here to get that body back? And then Ed falls to the floor in front of the set of doors within the white void. He grimaces as he clutches his painful broken arm, then carefully pushes himself up into a sitting position. Glancing over his shoulder, he notices another set of doors, bearing a similar but distinct tree-like image and facing his own. 
Huh? Why are there two portals? He wonders. He starts to turn back, but then suddenly realizes he's not alone. Sitting in front of the other set of doors is a boy around his own age, weak and emaciated, with golden hair and eyes. Ed's jaw drops open. He starts to run toward the boy. Al! He shouts. His own door opens up and the shadowy hands begin to grab at him, trying to pull him back through. That's right, he thinks as he struggles against the hands. I hypothesize that Al and I are connected through our souls. If we're connected, then that means there's a possibility I could get to where Al's body is. I was right. He stretches out his hand, yelling for the boy to hurry and come with him. I can't, Al's body says. You're not my soul. I can't go with you. Ed looks on in despair, but he's losing the fight against the portal's pull, and Al's body will not move. Alphonse, he shouts, fiercely determined. One day soon I'm coming to get you. No matter what, just you wait. Al's body smiles and bows his head, and the door slams shut. Back in Father's chamber, Gluttony's stomach suddenly splits with a gush of blood. He looks confused as the false portal begins to open back up, gradually at first, then quick and violent as one of Envy's huge claws bursts through, followed by the rest of their massive body. Envy, Father says mildly, and Al, looking on in horror, says, That thing is Envy? But he quickly notices the automail foot sticking out of the mass of flesh, and he rushes forward. Big brother, he shouts, yanking Ed out of the mess by his leg. Al, in armor, Ed says, a bit dazed, which means... Ling, also lying in the mess, weakly finishes. We made it back. Al sets Ed back down, and Ed and Ling share a cute bro fist bump in celebration <laughs> of their survival, while Al frets over all the blood. Just some broken bones, nothing to worry about, Ed insists. But Al grabs him back up in a fierce hug. I'm so glad you're all right, big brother. Don't be so dramatic, you worry too much, Ed says but he quickly realizes that Al is shaking. You're all right, he repeats, head bowed. You're alive. And Ed remembers the night of their failed transmutation, remembers dragging himself across the floor as he desperately called for his little brother. That's right, he thinks. I should know about the terror and despair of losing your entire family and being left all alone. He reaches out and puts a hand on Al's head. Sorry for making you worry, he says. I know it was painful and scary for you. He continues to pat Al's head as he starts to look around, wondering where they are. It's dark. Are we underground? Is it night? He begins. But then he catches sight of Father. This is quite a surprise, Father says, but Ed's eyes have gone wide. Hohenheim? That's the end of, what was it, 53? <laughs> yeah, I got distracted by all the things that happened. <laughs> it's a lot, as always. Wowee! Yeah. <laughs> So it is Hohenheim, <laughs> or someone with the same haircut, as stated last time. The boys think so. <laughs> they certainly think yeah. so. Well, I mean, you've seen their haircuts. Actually, they seem kind of, they're like, is it? Like, they're like, they're kind of like, question mark? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. His face doesn't look exactly the same, mm -hmm. but it does look very similar, mm -hmm. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think even at the time I was reading this originally, I was like, I don't think they're the same person, but there's something weird going on here. Like, <laughs> There's definitely something weird. Mm -hmm. And both the father and Hohenheim are weird. Yes. <laughs> There's definitely something, I feel like they're definitely connected, but I'm not, I'm, I've retracted my previous statements that they're the same person or any previous implications that they're the same. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I feel like um, father's face is a little more like dour and wrinkly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But Hohenheim is, I don't know, he can, he can stop bullets and stuff. So yeah, what's the deal? <laughs> If they were the same. Yeah. I feel like he we'll just has a different face. There's actually a sketch of them on the next page, mm -hmm. the two of them. Mm -hmm. And you can tell they look slightly different. 
Yeah. Yeah. Even in sketch form. Yeah, we'll definitely find out, I'm sure. But mm-hmm. but it's uh you know, nice to have kind of an in-universe like <laughs> acknowledgement. Acknowledgement of it. It's like cuz I think the, like the entire time you're reading it, you're like what the hell, They're man? A lot of like what's going on. Yeah. So, to have Ed now be like dad. dad? <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Well, not Ed, because he's not going to call him dad. But... He's like, you bastard? Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> and then the father is like, me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That'd be funny. It's like, really? Yeah. You're the one in, in my secret lair. <laughs> How am I the bastard? <laughs> you come into my house and insult me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But they, they, seem, they definitely seem sketchily similar, but not the same, I would say. Yeah. I feel at this point. But yeah, so similar that Ed Nell also said the same thing. So yeah, lots of lots of stuff. Uh, what even <laughs> happened at the beginning? I forgot. Well, like <laughs> I see, at the beginning is uh, the with Roy and Roy. Jerry, yeah. <laughs> right. I was gonna say I was actually gonna start with May and Scar because their little interludes are are relatively brief. But oh yeah, basically yeah, we just... they just were sneaking around, following Al and mm-hmm. in search of um, May's tiny cat, black and white cat. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love how that guy's like, oh, that black and white cat. (laughs) But yeah, they they sneak into the tunnels and they fight chimeras and whatever. But May's quite concerned about the sense of evil that's coming from the center of the or from beneath Mm -hmm. the streets of Mestris. So (laughs) it's nice to see um, Scar trying to complete a goal that's not just killing alchemists. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Yeah. He's like actually helpful and nice. Mm hmm. I'm gonna help the little girl find her cat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Who wouldn't want to help her find her cat? Their her tiny cat friend. Well, apparently, he's been seen feeding stray cats. So. Oh yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> the rumor. <laughs> well, wasn't it just? Oh yeah, no, no, yeah, it was him. I was like, there's a rumor about Scar. There was another random rumor. There were three rumors. Mm-hmm. One was about the fear. One was about Scar. And there was something else that Roy threw in there as a red herring, obviously. Well, I think it was sort of about like the homunculi because it's about like a man oh, someone who can't, who can't die. die. Or yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I just couldn't remember what it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Probably gluttony because he's been kind of um, public with his dying lately. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a more so. He's he's the most mannish also of all of them. I yeah. feel like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he keeps getting cut in half by. Uh, yeah, people on the streets Ling mostly <laughs> yelling <laughs> multiple times. This time they got exploded by Ed. So yeah. <laughs> Also kind of cut in half. Yeah, yeah, he he definitely, like, popped open from inside, so. Mm-hmm. From nave to chops. Just another surprisingly <laughs> violent. Oh, disgusting. Moment. Like, and then Envy pops out. Envy's yeah. giant arm pops out. <laughs> I thought it was kind of comical, also. <laughs> yeah, it's, like, comical. It's, like, makes you feel a little bad for gluttony, because he's so yeah. childlike. He doesn't know what's going on. No. Yeah. He's really like, so huh? just like, oh, my tummy's rumbling. <laughs> yeah. And then, like, they all, like, pop yeah. out. <laughs> yeah. In Envy's, like, writhing goo body. Yeah. Like, why did Envy yeah, should like, have, uh, just, like... I guess I need to ask this of Philosopher's Stone, but Envy should have just transmuted mm-hmm. back to them there. I mean, I don't More know. I didn't expect that uh, they would just come out of, like, his body in a very violent fashion. <laughs> I thought they were just, like, I don't know, like, appear pop somewhere. into reality. Like, yeah. Yeah, I definitely yeah. thought they would just appear. I didn't think they would come out of gluttony. Yeah. That I also didn't expect that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't think they could have planned ahead for that. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh shit. And then he's like, where yeah, are I we? I do think they needed like the easy access to the Philosopher's Stone provided yeah. by Envy's yes. true form. So. Yeah. Envy's tongue. Dripping yeah. body body part tongue. Disgusting. Yeah. yeah, the part where they swallow Ed is so gross. <laughs> uh. 
It just like drips down onto him uh, and picks <laughs> him up with it. all the arms. Yeah. It's the worst. <laughs> and it's so goopy. Like Envy's mm-hmm. <laughs> Envy's body is so like goopy looking. <laughs> yeah, like I think in the the previous chapter. We were like, it kind of looks like the bodies are like shifting around, but like this time it's like they're like dripping. They're like dripping and, off. Oh, yeah. Like they're fully and, like, dripping off. In, like into each other and stuff. Oh, yeah. And like coming out. Yeah, coming out. The face that comes out of the other face is like so horrifying. The mm-hmm. one that yeah. really catches Ad off guard. Yeah. I was like, somehow Envy, Envy maintains the tactic of using their appearance to be, uh, throw people off, off their guard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even in their true form. <laughs> Yeah, there's one like gross panel where like an eye is dripping down too that I didn't even notice until I read it this time. I was like, that was unnecessary, (laughs) Arka. She's like, is it though? Is it? Yeah. (laughs) That's how I imagine her drawing all the gory scenes. Yeah. With like a girlish squeal. (laughs) And then towards the end, uh, what was it? And it was like, I I don't want to be pitied by you. Mm-hmm. And then they pity Ed and have that hand on top of his head. Yeah. And I'm like, nope, don't want to be pitied by you either. Yeah, really. <laughs> get, get that get thing your away. Hands off me. Yeah. <laughs> it's Ed continuing his um, his um, you know, like feeling sympathy for things that are in no way human mm-hmm. anymore thing. Definitely feels like so. Envy is like those people were lost a long time ago. They don't. They don't. It raises some interesting questions, right? Because Envy. Mm-hmm. Is like they wouldn't know their own bodies anymore. Like they've forgotten like what they who they are and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like I guess mm-hmm. that means that could technically happen to Al too. You're disconnected from your body that long. Yeah, I guess maybe. If, if Envy is I right, because also I yeah. feel yeah. like Envy doesn't care. So or is it because it's like all of them are kind of mixing with one another? That's, you know? that's possible. I that's that's the impression that I took. That's but... possible too. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, because but... it's like you have all the like um... different. Like all the voices crying out, and they're all calling out for like different things. And yeah, some are like kill me, and some are like join us, and some are like mm-hmm. mom, and some are like play with want to play, and some are like yeah. <laughs> well, because they because they're not really they don't have like consciousness. I guess is like the yeah. point. Yeah. yeah, it seems like it's just sort of like the like the pain of existence is all that's left. Yeah, it seems yeah. like yeah, especially since you have the one that like closes its eyes and says thank you mm-hmm. when it mm-hmm. gets used as energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does seem like it was really disturbing to ed it was disturbing to me also so yeah <laughs> mm. so it's kind of i guess yeah, what's some... very upsetting but i like how <laughs> i like that kind of consistency in like ed's like thought process and like personal yeah. like morality yeah he has a mm. it, yeah it, i guess personal morality and perspective like mm-hmm. they are any any part of a person is still a person i guess is his like philosophy right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I like how we have, like, not just Envy contrasting him, but Ling, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ling is a... I feel like Ling is more cutthroat. Mm-hmm. He's, he has mm-hmm. a... Ed's, Ed's goals in his life right now require him to think about people in this way, really. Like, to think about his brother in this way. Mm-hmm. That he's yeah. safeable. That he's not just, like, a weird impression in a suit of armor. You know, Ling is like, I'll take any type of immortality. I don't care mm-hmm. if it's like a bunch mm-hmm. of weird souls or whatever. Like, you know, I don't know. I just, yeah, I guess his perspective, Ed's perspective, and I guess his morality to a certain extent give him that opinion or whatever and cause yeah. him to behave in that way. But mm-hmm. Ling is, I think Ling's a little bit more ruthless. Yeah. Well, he says, like, I mean, he's got the like entirety of his clan mm-hmm. like resting on his shoulders and says he that, like, care he's about- had 
randos dealt with from assassins their scenes. since he was a kid, so I mm-hmm. imagine he's been pretty like a pretty practical, ruthless yeah. kind of sense of the world would come from that. Yeah, I believe that. I love Edling's little like fist bump when they get out. Though. <laughs> <That's adorable. Yeah. laughs> I didn't yeah. notice that until you read it just now. I was like, oh, <laughs> look at them fist bumping. <laughs> You're like, yeah, we made it. <laughs> yeah, I know. I liked um, how Ed Ed gave Ling the shoe, but then Ling uh gave him the splint so mm-hmm. <laughs> it was kind of cute how they took care of each other mm-hmm. yeah yeah I feel like this is their like um their bonding moment in the series like <laughs> oh i remembered what i was gonna say well yeah near death will do that to you um <laughs> oh so i guess the so the implication that i'm understanding from this conversation is that someone the i, I guess the father created envy at xerxes and envy is the result and, and the Philosopher's Stone. So Envy and the Philosopher's Stone were possibly created, like, at the same time, I guess. Because, like, all the all the extra, um, like, all the extra, like, whatever, bodies or whatever, they all got smushed into Envy. Um, and then all the ruins got sucked into Gluttony. Maybe Gluttony was there. I don't know, actually. <laughs> but he said that they're the people from, that they're the people from Xerxes or what's included in Envy. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. I think it's, mm-hmm. like, like the philosopher's stone at envy's core like came from that transmutation hmm. in some way like i don't necessarily think it was like we're making the philosopher's stone and also envy yeah maybe yeah mm-hmm. they're certainly mm-hmm. interrelated though mm-hmm. yeah but they have more philosopher's stone goo so if that's the case then i guess that came from somewhere else or maybe that's only maybe part that's... of like like all that goo was made from xerxes and that's part of it is envy like yeah mm-hmm. i'm not yeah because they talk about it being like a massive philosopher's stone which it would be if you made made it from an entire Every, everyone like yes yeah entire city. well-populated city um because like the one we saw that like marco had which came from lab number five like that was a pretty small transmutation circle so like it That's probably true. didn't involve that many people yeah i mean a small amount the father has like a vat that's yeah. what i'm saying so yeah i guess maybe envy could have it could have been like the body part like the bodies from the xerxes people and I guess whatever animals were conveniently available. <laughs> yeah. And then like some of that, some of that philosopher's stone goo, I guess, maybe that's what envy is made of. Yeah. It's like father's like, I made this big vat of philosopher's stone goo and I will use it to create my children. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> As you do. In the image of me. Yes. Yes. <laughs> anyway, that's what was implied to me by the conversation. Mm-hmm. And then Ed finally explained the mural yeah. from Xerxes. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Xerxes. Is this the time for esoteric bullshit? I mean, I'm pr- I'm ready. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this is from my, like, you know, Googling and stuff. So any errors are because it's from Google. Um... <laughs> and it's about the Kabbalah, so obviously. You're not a, like, level 50 Kabbalah mage. I don't even know what they call him. <laughs> Kabbalah priest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, so starting from the beginning, hold on, let me get to that page where he talks I like that Envy brought all the pieces of the statue while you do that. I yeah. was like, oh, yeah. so helpful, weirdly helpful. Mm-hmm. But I guess they're all willing to work together to be, yeah. not have to die a horrible death thousands of times, yeah. <laughs> in Envy's case or whatever, mm-hmm. however many times. Yeah, I do like the death. kind of like weird little like working together bit. Well, Envy almost swallowed him and then he's like, wait, I have a plan. And then Envy <laughs> lets him out of his yeah. mouth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's always fun when like, heroes and villains are forced to work together temporarily yeah. for some reason. So you start from the beginning. Uh, I'm not an expert in Hebrew, but I'm fairly sure this is the, or at least very similar to the Hebrew for Yahweh. Okay, yeah. When he's talking about mm. the symbol for God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I don't think it's exactly the same, but I think that's what it's meant to evoke, if nothing else. Yeah. It's a, it's it does have the shape of Hebrew letters, so yes. Mm -hmm. And it is upside down if that's uh, if it's meant to be Hebrew, so. Yes. <laughs> you don't know about the upside down dialect of Hebrew? <laughs> yes. What <laughs> <laughs> happens when you start writing on the wrong side of the paper and you're like, "Oh, oh no." <laughs> yeah, before before er erasers. <laughs> yeah. So then he talks about like the hermaphrodite. Mhm. Mm uh mm -hmm. so the dragons. Yeah. I don't know if they're necessarily dragons in classical alchemy, but um, there are dragons in a lot of like images from alchemy, and Amestris <laughs> seems to like dragons too, since mm -hmm. it has it on its flag. So yeah, on its <laughs> military crest and whatnot. Yeah, um, but it seems to come from this part. Seems to come from the concept of I believe it's rebus, which is one of the end products of a alchemical magnum opus or great work, <gasps> which is basically the whole like basically we made a philosopher's stone or we made led into gold or, you know, mm. just all those like goals of alchemy, the like accomplishing of that goal. Mm -hmm. And it's often symbolized as like, called like the divine hermaphrodite, which is the like separating of opposing qualities and then uniting them back together into a like perfect form. Mm. And a lot of times it's symbolized by like a being with like the male and female qualities, which is how you get the hermaphrodite. Mm -hmm. uh, it's also kind of associated with the like concept of the like red and white, red king and white queen, which it, is also a symbol in alchemy a lot to like they come together and like the marriage of the red king and white queen to create a perfect being is another common kind of symbol in you know alchemical texts mm -hmm. so yeah it's kind of a symbol of like the perfect being like he says and it also kind of correlates with the lion eating the sun concept i had a little trouble with this it seems to mean a lot of different things but mm. uh it's generally understood that like the green lion in alchemy represents a like kind of green vitriol which is a like old word for uh different like uh, sulfate compounds mm -hmm. and the the green vitriol could be used to make sulfuric acid mm. which could eat away at most metals but not gold mm. and so mm. there's an idea of like the like the vitriol like purifying something into gold oh which okay. is where you get the the green lion eating the sun and creating gold and you know the whole like uh creating gold and philosopher's stone are very linked in alchemy so yeah they yeah. are synonymous i feel like <clears throat> yeah i've had the whole idea of like something that's gold and something that's perfect and the philosopher's stone and the elixir of life are all kind of the same concept yeah yeah i feel like this is the first time well i mean there's been a lot of like religious talk in the series so far but i feel like this is like the first time there that like we've actually seen some kind of like alchemy thing that actually brings god into the equation because mm -hmm. normally yeah. it's like uh, more like oppositional like scar will be like you alchemists say that you have the power to create but only god has the power to create or whatever stuff like yeah. that kind of stuff where it's like alchemy and god mm -hmm. are not the same and in this <laughs> equation in the transmutation circle it's like oh we actually like brought him here <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah i feel like it's kind of like it's still kind of related to that kind of thing because like at the beginning where the very beginning of the series red's talking about like oh alchemists are the kind of the closest thing to god True. and all that stuff and then like Ling talks about it like that's an arrogant thought of like bringing God down to mm -hmm. earth. So it seems like it's kind of like like that sort of quote unquote like blasphemy mm. thought like being involved in alchemy is kind of like what made them opposed. It's like, oh, yeah, it's like through alchemy, we can bring God down to earth and become better than God mm -hmm. and everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is also the chapter where we get the explicit uh, acknowledgement of the 
transmutation pose looking like praying. True. Yeah, I was like, oh, yeah, that is true. I feel like I probably thought about that a long time ago in the past, mm-hmm. <laughs> like when I was yeah, I feel like- watching this maybe the first time. But I haven't thought about mm-hmm. it for a long time. That's yeah, I feel like it's one of those things where it's like you notice it toward the beginning, but then it's been long enough and it's just part of the series that you mm-hmm. forget about it until Ling's like, oh, it looks like he's praying. And then you're mm-hmm. like, it does look like he's praying. praying. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I remember I did think that, I guess, at one point. But mm-hmm. yeah, and then you just were like, that's just what they do. And then it you yeah. forget. You get desensitized to it, I guess. Mm-hmm. One of the interesting things about that is that, you know, um, in order to be able to do that, you need to have, I guess, challenged God by mm-hmm. trying to transmute a human and then seeing the truth and then you're able to perform these miracles that you normally can't at least you know you need a lot less you don't need an actual circle and all that by praying sort of to the truth or god you know sort mm-hmm. of as a like yeah i, I guess it, it, it's kind of seen as sort of or it, it seems like the truth slash god and all of that it, it's like not force converting them and like, fine, you can do all this, but you have to sh- re- remind yourself that that you believe in me and that, something like that, you know, sort of the, I can't put into words what I'm trying to say, but do you understand? There's there's I'm... something in like yeah, the okay. ritual of doing that, that like enables them to carry out the transmutation. You have to believe in something, in the energy of the universe to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think it's kind of like, like, I don't think it's something that like truth is consciously thinking <laughs> if something like truth can consciously think. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But it's like sort of, there's some definitely something symbolic in the fact that like those who like challenge God in a way, like now are like doing the kind of prayer pose mm-hmm. as they like continue with like their newfound knowledge. So, yeah. I always interpreted it as like a, t- a moment of like focus before they do the transmutation. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's kind of, but I feel like this, that kind of pose, like a, a prayer pose. I mean, it does look like sort of a Christian thing, but I feel like, you know, when you meditate and stuff, like people make different symbols with their hands. Like it kind of reminds me mm-hmm. of that too. Mm-hmm. It's still all about being connected to like some kind of higher power, unforeseen or unseen power in the universe, right? Yeah. Yeah. Even the like hands together form that exists in like like Buddhism and stuff. Exactly. Too. Yeah. So yeah. I mean it also I feel like that's a a gesture that relates to the idea of like all is one and one is all. Like when you're mm-hmm. when you pray in theory you're connected to something bigger mm-hmm. beyond you, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. in this case like alchemy in theory, I mean at least I feel like what we've seen in the story is what it's meant to be is that you're you're like channeling the ability to create things, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is all the Sephiroth and stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like it's like like the natural forces of the universe, right. which are like some might see that as God and some might might not, which is why I think truth introduces itself as like I'm you and the universe and God mm-hmm. and truth. Mm-hmm. Like it's all those different like ways that humans grapple with the like utter infinity of the universe. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, I think when Ed was digging up his body, uh, uh, the the his body, yeah, the um, <laughs> the, the body. The I think he had a similar sort of gesture, like whether it's God or just the the laws of nature or something. But you can't bring back the dead, something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, that's true. I think it's yeah. a similar like: is it is it God? Is it just sort of the the laws of physics? Is it just the universe? Sort of like. But it all kind of sort of represents the same sort of idea, at least. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, um, 
goes back to sort of what, what we were just talking about is, you know, is it God or the truth or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. The implication from the transmutation circle is like, so they made that we know they made the philosopher's stone using it, mm-hmm. but then it's like, so have you? Is the philosopher's stone so you're you it, that that representation of the perfect, being. the perfect being, mm-hmm. is that the philosopher's stone? Well, I think because I mean they talk about how the the homunculi are uh, a superior form, the next chain yeah, of the evolution. So I have a feeling that it's trying to create a perfect being through homunculi and yeah. whether or not they've succeeded already or they're still trying. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's been answered, but um Well they did I think make that's... the fear. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Yeah, it seems like it's like the goal of that circle is implied to be like it's like I will bring God down to earth and become the perfect being. Yeah. And um, that like kind of resulted in the philosopher's stone and possibly the homunculi mm-hmm. either at that time or as a like trickle down result of the philosopher's <laughs> stone. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. We've already seen the vet and we've seen the amount of philosopher's stone that's like in envy or in mm-hmm. gluttony mm-hmm. or whatever. So we kind of, or like in lust. Yeah. They definitely seem to be like an offshoot of that big philosopher's stone goo, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Did you have any more other esoteric bullshit to talk about? <laughs> um, not on this. I have a tiny bit about uh, Al's doors. Oh, yeah. We haven't really gotten to that. Oh, yeah. I mean... Okay. Well, we can talk about that, I guess. Yeah, we can talk. I feel like that's a natural thing to come yeah. next. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, there is one more thing that I wanted to talk about. And I don't know if this is maybe the translation or something, but I feel like... Because they talk about the three separate parts of the uh, of a being. The body, the spirit, and the soul. Yeah. And I feel like... There's a couple of times where they've used soul a couple of times, and I feel like maybe they meant spirit or something, because um, I think they were talking about like the souls in Envy's Philosopher's Stone, saying that. Oh, let's see if I could find where it was exactly. Um, it's like all the souls are in the Philosopher's Stone, but then well, there's uh, like this the leftover spirits and bodies are what make envy i guess or something like that yeah, um, yeah if you mean the part where envy says like they lost their bodies and souls a long time ago mm-hmm. yeah, yeah i, I feel it's... like that's just like like envy meaning that like like they don't have any kind of like consciousness anymore even if they like technically exist as souls yeah maybe i guess mm-hmm. um yeah i think i think that might have been what it was but yeah it's, it's just i don't know and i guess envy isn't really an alchemist so it does sort of makes sense that they may not speak it as using those terms as as, as mm-hmm. sort of defined I, in alchemy. I feel like Envy was using uh souls a little more metaphorically at that point rather than like the strict mm-hmm. like body, soul and spirit thing. Because like you talk sense. about people like losing their souls like yeah. in a metaphorical way too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but, I, mean, uh, I mean I can look, but like that's how I there interpreted are... it anyway. I, I don't think it's that important. It's just No. Um, I will say that there are like three specific words that they use for body, soul, and spirit Mm -hmm. that we saw. Like they, I remember looking at them before because in my Mm -hmm. mind, I always felt like uh, the first time we were reading it, I was confused because I was like, "Is soul and spirit like the same thing?" But they're slightly different, I guess. Mm -hmm. Well, spirit uh, is like your human experience. mm -hmm. Soul is like your innate soul. Body is like your physical body. Yeah, I think I've seen some trans- older translations that use mind instead of yeah. Well, yeah, because I think even sense. when we're they were like with training with Azumi, I yeah. feel like mind came more at least um, like you made more sense. Your spirit, you trained your body, and now you have to train your mind, mind. and your spirit. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I think they can yeah be used fairly interchangeably, and mm-hmm. I feel like sometimes mind seems like it makes more sense, and sometimes spirit I mean, seems like it makes more sense. Yeah. So just kind of stick with one. So 
and I mean, um, the Latin for for mind and and spirit animus is the same. Hmm. So I, th- I think through different cultures, it sort of is. They're very closely connected. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, spirit yeah. is more esoteric bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> so you know. Yeah. In. <laughs> I think like the thing about mind is like when we speak when we normally use that word in English we are talking about like the conscious mind or whatever and like thinking Mm -hmm. like that's kind of the connotation that it has but your mind can also Mm -hmm. be like the more I don't know it's it's the the part of you that's not your living flesh not your like theoretical soul it's something that is different from both those things which makes sense yeah yeah I don't know yeah but yeah (laughs) Mm mm-hmm it all makes sense, just like all those Kabbalah videos. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, Ed was able to go with using the... So Ed was able to, quote-unquote, transmute himself through using the Philosopher's Stone to like accelerate the reaction, mm-hmm. using one of the souls from the Philosopher's Stone, I guess. Yeah. Um, at least one. <laughs> at least one. Well, that's well. the one said thank you, so <laughs> mm-hmm. I assumed it was one. <laughs> But that was kind of interesting, and then was able to go back to the portal of truth. Mm-hmm. Y- yay! Yeah. I mean, it worked out for them. So I mean, they did get yeah, yeah. they got to climb back through Gluttony in the end. Um, mm. But he succeeded, and now Ed knows he was right because Al was there. Al was yeah, there. Mm-hmm. Al's body was there with his long, luscious hair. That moment was so mind blowing when this chapter first came. Out. <laughs> oh, like yeah. he's there. It's Al. <laughs> Look at his like when it body. does that like double take and he's like sees him in front of the door like and then they have like it's i guess it seems like they so like there's an interesting other implication here which is like you have your own door and you have like your own portal or something mm-hmm. you have like mm-hmm. your own truth it's very intriguing yeah. yeah and theirs are intertwined so they can i guess they can access each other's but yeah yeah because they got linked together yeah during the transmutation and we don't know what like Envy and Ling saw. Like maybe they just like popped out of one place and back into the mm-hmm. into consciousness in the other place or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, imagine like Ed sees it because he's the one doing the transmutation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, perhaps. And now we're both doing the transmutation before, so maybe they saw this mm-hmm. like different things before or whatever. Yeah. Well, Al saw it, but um, like didn't remember it until he got like the memory jogged and we didn't really see his full memory just that little like rush of information so yeah exactly it could be that like but i mean i think it's interesting that it could be like izumi's could be different it's not like there's a single Mm -hmm. portal which is i felt like what it used to be what i the way that i used to think about it so it's Mm -hmm. kind of interesting well so are are the portals different i haven't noticed Mm, yeah they have yeah, they have a different pattern on them, but they're they're similar, which makes sense for Ed now. So Al's door has a design by an alchemist named George Ripley, who is another, you know, big, you know, big name trying to create the Philosopher's Stone alchemist <laughs> from uh, from the 1400s. Um, and the image on Al's door is from a work called, I think it's called The Marrow of Alchemy that he wrote. And I couldn't find as much information on this tree compared to the... Uh, Kabbalistic uh, tree of life um, but they do seem to be related and it seems to have to do with his like like the marrow of alchemy is about like how to do alchemy here are the steps kind of thing mm. and so it's kind of his like guide to doing alchemy interesting it also seems to have something to do with like the body and spirit existing separately or body and soul existing separately mm-hmm. which you know has makes sense for Al because mm. so. like it's got these like uh, 
steps on here like putrefaction and stuff which is like part of the like he wrote a thing called like the 12 steps of alchemy basically oh that was him yeah and so um and so that's got some of his like steps there yeah that's right on the one side it says corpus on the other side it says spiritus mm -hmm. i don't see a full picture on this yet i'm gonna look it up but is is animus used or, or something else on uh, above it maybe spiritus oh anima's mm -hmm. at the top yeah anima's at the top it yeah. is okay yeah yeah, it's hard to even find a good image of it. Um, oh, yeah, I guess it is different from Al Ed's. Is um, it's got the straight down. Um, I remember we talked about it before a long time ago. Mm -hmm. They're kind of similar though. I mean, I feel like it's also this one is also sort of represented as a tree with like rooty things at the bottom mm -hmm. and then a crown at the top. But it's interesting the part you can see has like a separate corporal body and spirit. Yeah, I guess the point is that <laughs> Al's body is available. It turns out. Mm -hmm. yes. But yes, Ed is. wasn't able to bring his body back. Al was like, you're not my soul. I can't go with you. So I mm -hmm. guess Al's mm -hmm. going to have to do it himself. <laughs> yes. But it seems like it also proved that they can do that with the Philosopher's Stone. Mm -hmm. In theory. Mm -hmm. Ed should have tried ripping off his arm and leg <laughs> from the truth. <laughs> 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 I wonder how much toll you have to pay. Because like I said, it seemed like it was just like one soul for the trip. But, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know. Yeah, Al's got a body. It's not dead. No, it's not uh, dead. It's so. alive and stuff. <laughs> I guess his brain is there, it's too. skinny, but... Uh... <laughs> He's doing okay. <laughs> Ed's a little short, and Al's a little short and yeah. skinny, but he'll be okay. <laughs> Ed just needs to drink more milk. It's the obvious yeah. solution. <laughs> yeah, obviously. <laughs> I just love that moment, though, when he sees... He sees Al, and he's, like, screaming that he's gonna come back and get him as the doors mm -hmm. close on him. Mm -hmm. Al's body just smiles serenely. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of interesting moments in this these two chapters, and that was one of them for sure. Mm -hmm. Oh, we didn't even talk about the fear yet. No, not yet. Not to just I was just going through my notes, not to abruptly yeah. change the subject, but mm -hmm. damn. Mm -hmm. You called out the gold tooth doctor guy so much that I feel like he must be an recurring character too. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> So I'm now I feel very sketchy about him. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's just some some faceless doctors, but uh, you know, he's got a distinguishing feature. Means yeah, that means important. he's and he had <laughs> evil glasses, so he's obviously a bad guy. Yeah, I was just glad to have something I could call the doctor, an unnamed character, like <laughs> the gold tooth doctor. <laughs> Marco doesn't have a gold tooth. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> not that we know of. No, he you he didn't have an evil backstory as far as we know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, kind well, of did, but... not like this. Yeah. <laughs> not a sadistic backstory. <laughs> as far as we know. Yeah. He could have been there. I don't know. So, yeah, Bradley uh, was human before. He was a human. Mm -hmm. A human. You know how last time we were talking about how, like, Gluttony and Envy, they have, like, their true forms and, like, Greed has their creepy true form and then we never saw mm -hmm. Lust? It does make me wonder about Lust. Like, was Lust also a person? Who can say? Cosm mm -hmm. and Kayla can say. <laughs> I Perhaps. don't know if they actually cover that. No. If it's never covered. Well, think... now, hold on, because um, Wrath can age. Mm. And we know Lust was several hundred years old. Yeah, that's And true. still pretty young. So yeah, Wrath also seems to be the like first of his kind. Yeah, well. Yeah, that too. They yeah. went through, they burned so. through 12 other people before they could, yeah. before him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's not necessarily that like everyone has a true form. It's just that yeah. like, they all have like some kind of like power thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that like changes them in some way. And I think lust yeah. is just her um... pointy hands. Yeah, because yeah, she calls 
like she calls it like the ultimate lance as like contrast to uh, Greed's ultimate shield. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's true. And I mean, she did her, I mean, obviously her hands were all like stretchy outy. So yeah. she did mm-hmm. have another form. Um, yeah, because I'm not sure like I even call like Greed. Yeah, because I'm not sure I'd even call Greed's shield like his true form. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't like, know. An ability that he activates. I guess that's yeah. true. Because like if he gets distracted, like doing something else, he's not able to do that. Yeah. I mean, technically, Gluttony. It wasn't like he had a true form. It's just that, that is also his ability. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a facet of his ability. And same with Envy. Like we're calling it Envy's true form, but yeah. Envy that's just what Envy calls it. But Envy wears a disguise. Like it's not really yeah. the. And Envy just is like that. Envy is yeah. constantly yeah. in disguise. <laughs> yeah, because Envy seems like I don't know, touchy about ashamed that, that form. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I would be if I was dripping goo constantly. I feel yeah. like you know that they can't find any pants that fit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know that the like greed well, tease them and stuff too. So yeah, yeah, you got four human legs, and <laughs> several lizard legs, four animal, four animal legs. It's, mm-hmm. it's a nightmare. Yeah, we're like big and tall. Like lizard yeah. monster story, really, really, really big, big and really, really, really tall. Really, really tall. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen it twice because um, they have. Um, I think uh, as an addendum to the original <laughs> 2003 anime, they have a movie called like the the Dragon of Shambhala. The Conqueror of Shambhala. The Conqueror. Of Shambhala. The Conqueror was the, was the other one a dragon? Something that had to do with a dragon. Yeah, Envy has some kind of weird dragon transformation, but it's yeah, like, like this. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think just because of that, whenever I see this form, I'm always like, yeah, it's like dragon. It's a dragon form of some sort, but it's vaguely lizardy. But yeah. uh... it's like a lizard with weird teeth. It mm-hmm. kind of actually kind of reminds me of like a komodo dragon with hair, and mm-hmm. then a bunch of face. Goo. Yeah, it's kind of like the yeah, and it's like the the face is sort of humany, like it's got sort it of has... humany nose yeah. and sort of human teeth. Yeah, I guess it doesn't really have lizard teeth, but the arrangement in the face in the like snoot. <laughs> it has mm-hmm. envy's form has a snoot like a lizard like an animal yeah as opposed to a people snoot those are real words all the words i used to real. <laughs> yes. yeah 2003 version and we just straight up turns into a dragon like <laughs> sick yeah like it looks like a it looks like a, like a dragon ball z dragon like. <laughs> where is the dragon oh it is just a dragon that's not fun at yeah. all <laughs> it just looks like rayquaza <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, significantly less horrifying, mm-hmm. like by magnitudes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So Bradley was human and was specifically he was turned into a homunculus, raised to turn into a homunculus and be Fuhrer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So all this yeah. he kind of alluded to that in previous chapter, where he's like, "Oh, my whole life has been like set out for me." Yeah. But, mm-hmm. I assumed that. I assumed that when he said that the father created him and then the father was controlling things, you know, within the world, so that he could, uh, you know, make it so because he because. Wrath is also like gluttony killed anybody that got or not gluttony. Wow, what am I even talking about? The father got rid of anyone who got in his way or whatever. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, it seems like the father has other associates. So yeah, yeah, um, that was interesting. Mm-hmm. Some kind of weird program to like manufacture a fear from a bunch of tiny children. Yeah, mm-hmm. and the process seems um, horrific. Yeah, yeah, totally. And what happened to the to the other candidates? He's like fucking injected. Them. And philosopher's stone right into your blood yeah they're like yeah so you might be fine or whatever like whose idea i mean after they tried it on the first five you think they'd be like this probably wasn't a good idea you know <laughs> like who I was mean, like they had it'll several... work yeah they're like we got more boys yeah yeah <laughs> maybe he was the last i don't know they said well, there was 12 ahead of him but yeah. he was yeah. the 12th or he was a 12th which is kind of 
I don't know if it's intentional, but I went kind of another parallel to Ling. Because Ling is the 12th prince. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, I was like thinking there's a lot of like 12 things in this. I mean, maybe it's just the two of them, but yeah, it is very oddly specifically similar to Ling. Yes. Mm-hmm. The cause of what are you saying? What happened to the others? Yeah, because if there were more than 12 candidates, like, did they just like, well, sorry, you didn't make it, so bye-bye? Or were they, like, let go? Did they just become the other generals, like, that that, um, Mustang saw in the meeting? That could be. Maybe that's how they know. It'd be funny if they just kick these poor, like, mindless, emotionless children out into the world. He was like, the only emotion left was was wrath. And I was like, did you have a lot of emotion in the first place? It looks like it was kind of raised out of you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. They probably kept them for something. Obviously, this is like the plot is much bigger than. Yeah. It's not just father pulling all. The, I mean, maybe father's running everything, but there's definitely more people involved and more people than just like Dr. Marco and just like yeah. the lab. There's other people. Yeah, they didn't seem like they would just throw out some good bodies. Like, no, yeah. that they trained up. I mean, they invested in them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They probably did something with them. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. It's not clear. But it is interesting they didn't make more. Like, why didn't they try to make another? I guess they only need one human homunculus. Like, it only needed to work one yeah, time. It seems like, <laughs> yeah, it seems like the, like, intention was to create a homunculi if you're to leave the country. So, uh-huh. they're like, we don't need another one. Well, I mean, they are looking at creating the next, like, perfect being. So maybe this is part of the process to see, can we make a perfect being out of maybe just an already existing human? Yeah, I guess so. so. No, yeah, the doctors seem really excited about it at the end, but if <laughs> I, I mean, <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> that doesn't, doesn't seem like a great idea to me. Well, I mean, yeah, if... I feel like they were sold on the concept, perhaps with um a different like goal, perhaps like because they're talking about like oh it's the next step of humanity and you're gonna lead humankind forward, mm-hmm. whereas like it doesn't mm-hmm. seem like that's an interest that father has. No, so. yeah. no, it seems like it's homunculi versus people, not homunculi yeah. leading people. Yeah, it could be that that's the case. It could be that's how he talked them into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's like it's just like the people creating the technology in Terminator, you know? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and by the people in Terminator, I mean us in real life. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think one of the most like subtly horrifying lines is where Wrath is talking about like I don't know if mm. like the one soul remaining is one of the souls in the Philosopher's Stone oh, my. or my own. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So crazy. I guess he can only die once then. That's what it seems like. Mm-hmm. That's what's implied. Mm-hmm. It's implied that there's one left. They yeah. like the souls, the whatever souls were in the Philosopher's Stone, his body rejected them. And then the the Philosopher's Stone kept uh, renewing his body over and over again or whatever. That's what it seemed like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, esoteric bullshit. Yes. <laughs> it does kind of actually, speaking of esoteric bullshit, mm-hmm. it does kind of fit in with the whole concept of like dissolution and reformation, which is a common theme in the whole like how to make the perfect being or philosopher's stone or whatever. That's true. You see like steps of alchemy. That theme is, I feel like we kind of talked about like the hero's journey and stuff like that. And also, I feel like these kind of coming of age things, it's like everything falls apart before it can be put back together. You know, mm. like that seems to be, yes, it is like scientifically a theme of alchemy and the process of alchemy or whatever, you know, pseudoscientifically a theme of alchemy, yeah. but like, or only scientifically a theme of alchemy, but it is also like a literary mm-hmm. process too. So yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, the fear, 
he was reinvented as a new person. That's they gave him a new name. He was basically like reborn mm-hmm. as a homunculus. Yeah. In this chapter, also, I feel like Ed and Ling, and I guess Envy, they were almost kind of like reborn out of the void, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's kind of interesting. Ed technically transmuted them. He tra- technically transmuted himself. Mm-hmm. As we stated before, yeah. he didn't fix his broken arm, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, he paid a toll and went through the portal and came back out. Mm-hmm. So he's technically been reinvented <laughs> once again. Yeah, it seems like they got, like, you know, broken down the same way we saw, like, when Ned now went through the portal. Oh, yeah, there was a shot of, like, Ling's legs being all alchemy yeah. apart with the alchemy yeah. texture. Yeah. It'd be funny if that means that now, now Ed and Al are also linked to Ling and Envy. <laughs> through their, and it's like, like, I'm so hungry all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Next time he goes through, he's like, there's, like, seven doors here now. Yeah, really. God damn it. It seems like... I think you're right because he was the one doing the transmutation. It's just him mm-hmm. at the portal. Like mm-hmm. I, I bet you, what happened is, Ling and Envy, like they lost consciousness when they went through the portal, and then they gained consciousness again when they were outside on the other side. <laughs> and like that's what happened, right? Yeah. Like they wouldn't remember visiting yeah. the portal or anything like that, visiting tr- the truth mm-hmm. or anything. Yeah, that's my assumption. Yeah, Envy did describe mm-hmm. the the void, gluttony's void, as the space between reality and the truth previously, or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I guess that was true in the end. It is weird that they popped out of gluttony, though, I still think. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I guess it makes as much sense as anything. <laughs> <laughs> I was yeah. going to say, like, this uh, story is getting into the really shaky foundation of, uh, of uh, uh, like, shaky, shaky magic foundation territory right now. Where it's like, mm-hmm. and then we injected the stone, and this is what happened. And it's like, okay, I'm buying it. And it's like, then we went to the portal of truth, and now we popped out of gluttony again. And it's like, okay, I'm still buying it. Like, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, we're getting yeah. I think it's consistent territory. enough. It is. What it is. Seen, so, I'm not question. I still, like I said, I'm buying it. Mm-hmm. But it is also like the same feeling of watching the Kabbalah videos on YouTube, where you're like, but yeah. what? And then it's like, no, no, never mind. It's just a story. It's fine. <laughs> I feel like on some level we're supposed to be like Ling in these scenes. He's like, <laughs> yeah, okay, I'm just, I'm just gonna, gonna trust, trust you. On this. Yeah, it's great. Mm-hmm. Ling is the stand-in, so it's like, yeah, yeah. okay, <laughs> okay. Like Ed's just like, okay, well, this means this, and this means that, and this means that. So must therefore that in this story it means this. Like Ed is the narrator. Ed is actually Arakawa in those scenes. Yes. <laughs> it's like, let me explain to you the system that we're working with here in this story. And Ling is like, okay. And I was like, that's like us. <laughs> yeah. I love how many scenes there have been in the past few chapters where Ling is like, well, somebody explain something. <laughs> like, yeah. He's like, I feel like no one's listening to He's me. He's like, what's this about the portal? What's yeah. this about? <laughs> He's like, I'm just going to trust you. Okay. Yeah. But then they have their fist bump, so everything's fine. <laughs> yeah. They're friends now. Yes. It's official. It's the fist bump. <laughs> I think they were friends before. They made a plan to uh, capture a homunculus together. Can't make you not friends. Ed carried him through River of Blood. So they must be yeah. friends. <laughs> oh, it was interesting that the father was there when Wrath was created. I mean, it's not that... I guess it's not that interesting, but... It's like it wasn't a separate group. It's like they're definitely influenced by the father. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was at the yeah. bedside. <laughs> Being creepy. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, well, that's kind of his deal. Being r- creepy and removed from reality... Not unlike Hohenheim, but creepier. Yeah, like, will you be the one to become my wrath or whatever he says? If you're laying in that bed, you're like, um, (laughs) do I have a choice? Like, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, I like how like he looks over and sees all the dead bodies in the other room. It's like, man, you should really should have closed that door. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I like how he's just like okay and kind of like lies down the well, bed and like doesn't get really nervous until they start like strapping him down. Because I'm sure they he's gave probably him probably been trained to just do whatever the hell they tell him. Right, and they probably gave him exams and stuff all the time where they're like, oh, good, yeah. good muscles you got there. Keep up the good work. He's a well-built machine. <laughs> 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 He's not as fast as he used to be in his in his middle age. <laughs> Apparently, well-built Amestrian male. He's the only one with dark hair, so that he stands out <laughs> in the random people in the story. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I know how it works. <laughs> He said that just as you humans take pride in being human, we take homunculi take pr- are proud of what we are. So that was interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It is kind of interesting that they continue to see themselves as separate and describe themselves separately and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I feel like I still don't have a lot of things to say. It's like the whole thing, the whole, these two chapters was really interesting, but I still feel like there's not a lot of conclusions mm-hmm. that can be drawn yet. Because it's like, okay, so clearly there's a group of people that involves the father that created bradley and the father at least created the homunculi for this great grand plan and many are involved so yeah the Mm -hmm. father seems to have been able to influence a lot of people or whatever if it was him Mm -hmm. if it was him alone so yeah we're still kind of in the middle of this little arc and in the middle of the like bigger arc obviously yeah it's a lot of like yeah like this is fascinating (laughs) go on more information (laughs) that makes me go hmm and then it's like (laughs) still there's still more to be to be read though yeah. So speaking of the Fuhrer and Roy just straight up walking into the middle of this disaster situation, mm-hmm. <laughs> all of his crew got reassigned, which sucks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And most importantly of all, Risa got reassigned to be the Fuhrer's like, personal aid or something awful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which I think is very deliberate. Like, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it's just the Fuhrer like, just punching Roy in the gut, you know, mm-hmm. without actually hitting him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's especially because like that comes right after he's like like oh salem's not my weak point and then it goes into this mm-hmm. like by the way <laughs> you know the people that you care I'm about taking, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like i'm taking away all your people you care about and the one you like really care about is now my personal aid yeah so mm-hmm. it's like shit right there yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 i know he's like i don't care about salem i don't care about any of these these puppets set up around me <laughs> mm-hmm. Because I'm a homunculus. But, like, I don't know if that's true. Because when he had the conversation with Pride, there was something there that I... There's a spark of humanity mm-hmm. still. So, actually, it makes the conversation yeah. with Pride a little bit more interesting. Yeah. Um, I'm mm-hmm. not sure that he's... I mean, to Roy, of course, he needs to be scary and convincing. But I'm not sure that he's actually 100% convicted in the things that he's saying. But we'll see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely more, like, like, interest in how this is going to turn out, even if it's not in our favor coming from him compared to the rest of the homunculi mm-hmm. yeah well he's only had one purpose his whole life apparently so yeah <laughs> i guess he's interested to see how it turns out so i know i love at the beginning of their like threat conversation <laughs> he like offers roy some tea and he's like no, no. thank you <laughs> yeah. and then he's like it's not poison it's like thanks <laughs> well so it's like yeah can you even drink it right now geez <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's like, I will literally pee my pants. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's a good thing I haven't eaten any breakfast yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Roy, I can't believe he just walked in there and started babbling about the fear of being a homunculus. What oh, a dumbass! Yeah. <laughs> I absolutely can believe he did. But it's such a <laughs> yeah. Sometimes when I say the phrase "I can't believe," yeah. <laughs> what I actually mean is, 
I can totally believe it, but it's just so crazy. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think Roy and Ling both need to pump the brakes more often. <laughs> <laughs> I said it before. And occasionally too, but yeah, I think he's less bad than Roy and Ling. People made a lot of bad decisions. These characters made a lot of like bad decisions about when to put the brakes on yeah. in these uh, <laughs> in these situations recently. But I guess the threats are growing stronger. So, mm -hmm. like it's like you can understand why they made all the decisions they made, but then like. Especially in retrospect, you're like, no. no. <laughs> yeah. Like, why didn't you just run away from Envy? Then you wouldn't have had to. But I guess he needed to go through the portal, and the reward was that he got to see that Al's Al's body was there. So I guess that worked out in the end. Question mark. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that was fine. Yeah, they definitely all have more knowledge than they had when they started this. It's just kind of a at what cost kind of. Yeah, and also mm -hmm. like, where are we? Where are they going to go from here? Because now Roy's team's all broken up. You know, Ed and Al. It's not like they actually have yep. a philosopher's stone like i mean we don't know what's gonna happen also they're in the middle of the lair with the father so yeah, it's like they're all literally yeah. in like homunculus custody right now like <laughs> <laughs> that's true yeah the only one who's kind of safe is like hawkeye he's outside or he's just outside the building <laughs> but yeah all the all the hot-headed morning <laughs> right all the hot-headed ones mm -hmm. <laughs> all the bad decision makers are the ones who are are in the middle of the homunculized clutches right now. Mm -hmm. So, including, I guess, uh, well, May and Scar made their way down there too. But. <laughs> well, oh, that was something that was interesting because, like, it sounded like May wanted to turn back. Yeah, she probably should have. Um, <laughs> but Xiao May is well, so important. Her favorite yeah, tiny well, cat. Yeah, she's like, this, this place is really evil. I don't want to go down there. Mm -hmm. And I guess we didn't actually see for a fact whether she turned around or not. Yeah, I don't know. I assume they stayed in the tunnel. I don't know. I, I think. Yeah. I think my immediate thing was like, oh, she probably turned around, but probably not, <laughs> now that I think about it. But maybe she, they turned around and I'm like, no, let, let's go back in. Something like that. But the, like that, the hesitation, um, at least, is just very compelling. Mm -hmm. I mean, Ling mm -hmm. said that something's wrong with Amestris too a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I guess it's the implication that all of this, all of this stuff <laughs> under the city or whatever... <laughs> It's uh, part yeah. of the problem, which makes sense. Yeah. It's not clear what the problem is, but mm -hmm. I guess there's just a huge collection of souls all in one place in the Father's Lair. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's more more souls than people in a mess. Yeah, it's like it It seems at first like she's reacting to all the chimera, which is yeah. like there's a lot of things crawling around down there. But like, yeah, I think it's like kind of like when Lanfon was like, oh, there's 30 people standing outside of the door when it was just envy or whatever. Yeah. Mm hmm. I think it's that kind of idea where it's like all those things crawling around might be the like homunculi and the philosopher stone and stuff down there. Mm -hmm. And also, she specifically said that the that this the feeling was evil, mm -hmm. which Lan yeah. and, and Ling never said before necessarily. Yeah. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's implied to be like the father specifically that right. she's reacting to at that moment. Yeah. yeah. So. For sure. Which, like, Lump on Ling haven't been close to, at least. Not yet. That we've seen. Yeah. Well, now Ling is there, so I guess we'll see what happens yeah, next Ling time. Yeah, Ling is there now. But... <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, do I have any other things to say? I don't think so. I got okay. two, as always. Yeah, usually it's something at the end. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, the the first one is, I thought about, I, I guess the, the, this pattern that ha seems to happen with Ed is he gets in a <laughs> fight. And during that fight, it gives him time to, like, clear his head or something, and he, like, has, like, an mm -hmm. epiphany. Mm -hmm. um, we definitely saw that with in the Greed fight, and sort of in here with Envy. And I, I'm sure it happens elsewhere. Um, I can't remember 
Oh, Scar? I think with um, with Scar, and I think even with Slicer, I think he had a similar right. sort of idea. And I was trying to, you know, it just it happens a lot. I was wondering if there's something more about it, and I kind of remembered what his training with Izumi is. You know, that she was like reading a book <laughs> to him, to them while like fighting them <laughs> and throwing them around and stuff like that. And so they've more or less been trained to to probably think while fighting best or most clear <laughs> in like high stress situations or something like that i guess it's probably cool. um or something something like that you know i, I wasn't mm. entirely sure but I, I just thought it was a at least it was a, it was a nice little connection yeah. um it's interesting and consistent that that consistently happens yes yeah yeah it bites off more than he can chew and then <laughs> scrambles his way out of yeah it. <laughs> he's like i'll figure yeah. it out and he always does <laughs> yeah well, he like literally said that when they were like making their plan at first. Yeah, he's like, "I'll figure something out." Yeah, it'll be <laughs> yeah. fine. But yeah, I think you're right about that. I think also like functionally, uh, in it makes the fights, like the fight scenes aren't just fights. Like there's they always move the plot forward. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that's nice. It's yeah. it's not just like a fight after fight after fight, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it sort of makes it like like a puzzle that he has to figure out. Hmm. Rather than just like my power level is higher than his power level. <laughs> yeah. Would you say it's over nine thousand? <laughs> and then the other thing I wanted to talk about, which uh, I think is interesting. Um, so I've I've one of the, my favorite things when rewatching this has been sort of seeing some of these more reoccurring themes. Mm. And one thing that I remember um, really enjoying is sort of the importance of like vision and eyesight and like. Mm. Um, to look in people's eyes, particularly for Mustang. Uh, like, well, I think the, the first time it occurs is when he looks at um, Ed and, you know, he's like, when they go, he just goes to recruit them and Hawkeye's like, do you really think he'll come? Um, and he's like, that didn't look like the eyes of someone who would given up. That looked like the eyes of someone very determined, something like that. Yeah, he said like there were fire, there was fire in those eyes. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. And then, um, I mean, his assistant's name is Hawkeye. True. Um, and he's got his eyes set on the, the fear of presidency, but I guess, um, Wrath has a similar sort of thing going on, right? Um, his Ouroboros manifests in his eyes. The Philosopher's Stone gave him better eyesight and he's there sort of the, the fear of president looking down on all his pawns and the the country sort of, um, not doing a whole lot. He's, Mm. he's more observing because the script's been given to him, everything's sort of being dealt with by everyone else. He's more or less an observer in his own life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just kind of interesting that they both sort of have these similar, I guess, um, metaphors, something like that going <laughs> on. And they're kind of rivals. And I don't know, it's just it's just interesting and, and something that I think I told myself I would be looking more into as I go through, and I kept kind of forgot. But I'm hopefully I'll, I'll do better and and bring it up more often when it when it comes up. I feel like we did briefly talk about this before because we kind of said that the Fuhrer and Roy they have a lot of similar similarities. I think in their mm-hmm. yeah, I think um, attitudes. I guess yeah. I think Roy and um, Bradley are foils in some way, and I think like yeah. Bradley and Ling are also foils in some other ways. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. more obviously, I think we've seen with Ling and Bradley so far because of their yeah. fight, all the things that Ling was saying mm-hmm. in their yeah. fight. 
Yeah, it's just, it's just, again that, that that I think was one of my favorite things going back and rewatching, in particular, and I, mm -hmm. I just I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I like picking up on like all the like repeated themes and mm -hmm. stuff, like because we have another instance of the like people waiting for you, waiting for people theme yeah. in, in yeah. this chapter. Yeah. Someone's waiting for you. Mm -hmm. I did like Lang being like, I don't give a shit about a mistress. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> his lizard tongue but yeah <laughs> yeah like that yeah. like like it's funny but it's also like he's like making a joke to be like no really i'm you're gonna get through this too. you need to like, get through this yeah, yeah. exactly yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly mm -hmm. that's true we did have the, the waiting for people people waiting on people mm -hmm. theme mm -hmm. was back except for envy nobody's waiting for envy to come back <laughs> <laughs> yeah even father's like oh it's you oh <laughs> yeah it's like envy? i mean to be fair fa father didn't really know that envy was missing <laughs> yeah. that's true <laughs> Gluttony just showed up with a friend, and then Envy popped out. <laughs> like yeah. all these other three other people popped out of Gluttony. <laughs> hey, Dad, I'm here. Let me just barf on your rug. Yeah, exactly. And the father's like, I love all my children equally. Earlier that day, I don't care for Envy. Envy, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, none of them seem to care that much for Envy. <laughs> so I thought of something in connection with the like waiting for people thing. We also got oh, a yes. bit of like. Like, we've seen the whole thing with Winry about, like, waiting can be, like, scary and, like, painful. Mm -hmm. right. We also kind of got that with Al in this in these chapters, too. Oh, true. The idea of, like, Al being left alone. And, yeah. like, Ed realizing it's like, oh, I, like, know that experience of, like, losing your family and being left behind. And so, the, mm -hmm. right. kind of, like, waiting for someone and not knowing if they're actually going to come back. Yeah. Concept again. Yeah, that's true. And he patted Al on the head, mm -hmm. and he said mm -hmm. that he was sorry. Yeah, it's a cute little big brother, little brother moment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I like how often like Al gets pat on the head when he's this like huge suit <laughs> <of> armor. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> I really liked. There was like a couple episodes ago where the little bird was sitting on him while he mm -hmm. was like sitting, being depressed. And I was like, oh, he's so depressed, but there's a little birdie sitting on his yeah. armor. <laughs> <laughs> it was cute. Now mm -hmm. everything's fine. Ed's back, so now we can laugh about it, right? Everyone's currently yeah. still alive. Uh, yep. They got most of their limbs still yeah. too. So, mm -hmm. I guess Al's probably about to have his hand back. Assuming yeah, nope. they they brought it. No further permanent dismemberments <laughs> for for this time, at least. Yeah. It's like everyone got broken down through the portal, and Gluttony got torn up, but they all got better. Uh, Gluttony will yeah. will stitch himself back together. It'll be fine. Yeah, everything's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally fine. Plus, they have access to like a bunch of philosopher's stones right there. It would be fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. So like, nothing, nothing can go wrong next time. Dip in the vat. <laughs> <laughs> Into the the dip. Yeah. <laughs> <Ugh>. <laughs> Still haunts me. <laughs> okay. Um, well, good. Okay. So nothing else to say then, this time. Uh, I guess not. Last thoughts, uh, last inside jokes or uh, quotes from old TV shows or movies, <laughs> musicals, etc. Went through all my esoteric bullshit. So, oh yeah, you did a good job. Um, yeah, very <laughs> nice. I, I was about to be like, <laughs> I was about to be like, I learned. Then I was like, well, I kind of did. <laughs> I learned. Enough. I listened. I listened. <laughs> I learned that you need vitriol to make gold. <laughs> that's the lesson right <laughs> yes assume you're doing the same kind of like uh -huh, i get wait what yeah exactly exactly <laughs> that's the face that i'm making that you can't see over yeah. the podcasting medium <laughs> that's the face i was making while uh while researching it so uh-huh <laughs>
Like, oh yeah, oh, oh. <laughs> so what are we going to do next time? What esoteric bullshit will we be reading next time? <laughs> Hopefully not any. Uh, <laughs> 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 we'll be doing chapters 54 and 55. Woo! Two by two. Yep. Sounds good. And that means uh, halfway through next episode, we will be halfway through the series. Whoa! Whoa! 55 <laughs> is the middle? Uh, 54, I guess, 54 because the uh, there's 108, 108 chapters total. So. Yeah. Oh. Should we bring, like, little party poppers to the episode? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pop champagne in the middle? <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, exactly. Or, like, those party things. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. The blower things. Mm -hmm. I don't know what they're called. Mm -hmm. Bring confetti and get it all over my desk. It would be a good mm -hmm. time. <laughs> I actually do have some sparkling wine in my fridge, but I don't think I could uh, time the pop correctly. <laughs> Well, if you without, if you were recording anything, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you'd have to go be like, oh, please hold while I go get this bottle directly out of the fridge. Mm -hmm. You mean away from any people or screens <laughs> or burbs? Yes, or <laughs> <laughs> I guess he can fly away. <laughs> he probably yeah. has pretty good reflexes. <laughs> well, good. Sounds good. So yeah, thank you all for listening. Thank we will listening. see you next time. Bye. 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 I keep clicking on the wrong ones. <laughs> <laughs> you just started like, and let me tell you about the Sephiroth. Welcome to the yeah. Esoteric Bullshit <laughs> Podcast. <laughs>